When it comes to sex, let's be honest. We all have questions. Am I doing it right? Is it supposed to feel this way? Why don't I care about sex? And the big one, what is normal sex? Trust me, these are legit questions. So I found Dr. Jenny Schuyler, sex therapist extraordinaire, to answer the questions we always wanted to ask but didn't. And she has some questions too, good ones. I'm Kim Kaplan, and this is the Modern Pleasure Podcast. I, I would say as a basic principle, I think everybody is responsible for their own sexual needs, regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not. That can be a conversation, that can be an interaction with your partner, but at the end of the day, that's a really important philosophy from my perspective. I think the other thing is that when you are connected in other ways, sex doesn't become the junk drawer around getting your needs met. And so sex gets to be about the enjoyment of sex itself rather than a space filler for a whole bunch of other things that you don't know how else to address. Welcome to another edition of the Modern Pleasure Podcast. I'm Kim Kaplan, and of course, Dr. Jenny Schuyler is with me as always. But this episode I'm super excited about because I get to put you, Dr. Jenny, and your husband, Daniel, on the hot seat. You know, I don't know, Daniel, if you've listened to our first season of the podcast, but it was all about, you know, my sexual and, and non-sexual escapades. And so it feels really good to kind of turn the tables a little bit and find out um, about your, uh, not necessarily life in general when it comes to sex, but life in general when it comes to sex as you're both sex therapists. Um, and uh, Daniel, tell us a little bit about you and, and your role um, as a sex therapist. So my role is the co-director of the Intimacy Institute, and I do the majority of the male sexual functioning um, pieces in terms of working with men struggling with erectile dysfunction, um, premature ejaculation, delayed ejaculation, uh, desired discrepancy. So really anything that is specific to male sexuality uh, tends to go towards me. And then I also participate in doing couples therapy. Uh, sometimes Jenny and I will split up a couples where she'll see an individual, I will see the couple or vice versa. And so really what it allows us to do is work in tandem. Um, and we can put our two brains together and figure out how best to help people move forward in their intimate lives. So I guess the million dollar question, and I think when I when I found out that you were also a sex therapist along with your wife, my I was kind of mind blown, like, well, what kind of conversations do you two have at the dinner table? And it's, I think my first question would be, and do these conversations differ at all? Like, you know, it's such a, what I've learned in, in our sessions with Dr. Jenny is that, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing, right? There's always different therapies or different things that people can do based on their situation. Do you guys ever differ in your theories? So first off, I'll just say that dinner topic, di dinner topics are usually just about the weather and nothing else. Um, 
one. No, what? We, Come on, we, really? we talk about a little bit of everything. Um, I would say dinner is actually split between if we have something really alive, Daniel and I will drop in and, and our kids just like to listen. And yeah. sometimes we're just like finishing talking about a client or processing something that we're just like, it's very alive. And then we'll be like, okay, done. Let's shift. And we always do with our kids best part of your day, worst part of your day, something you're grateful for and something you look forward to. Mm-hmm. So then it shifts into a very different non, obviously non-sexual, but non-clinical conversation. Um, but there's sometimes more clinical topics on the table. Yeah. And I think it's the life we live, right? I mean, it is, if you had an office meeting and a particular conversation happened there, you would be updating your partner on it. And there's a way where to us, that's oftentimes a particular story about a couple who navigated this issue or a new idea that we came up with around, you know, this is a way I framed this thing, which I hadn't framed it that way before. And then we'll sort of riff off of each other. Um, I find that that happens quite a bit in terms of just sort of organic conversation. Mm-hmm. We usually, we don't have set aside times where we sit down and talk about concepts. Usually it's in in the debrief of the day or on a dog walk and one of us mentions something that came up in a session and pretty quickly we're off on a whole new concept. And we're in flow space with that. Yeah. And I would say we, you know, just to answer your original question, I don't think we disagree too much on really much. I think we riff and flow into a new place where we arrive and we're like, okay, we've created something new if we're building off each other. But we usually don't have deep discrepancies in how we see things or how we approach things. And that's probably helpful. (laughs) Yeah. I think... Sometimes what it, what I find interesting is we'll go different directions to arrive at the same place. Oh, for sure. Um, so, so you I think guys approach where things we a have, little differently. Yeah, where we have a lot of alignment is around the underlying principles, but we have different personalities and different ways of getting to the same spot. I think we agree with the spots we're trying to get to, yeah. but how we get there tends to be reflective of our personalities. Interesting. So when when you introduce yourself, like to, you know, say you guys are out somewhere and you meet someone and someone says, well, what do you guys do for a living? What's the response? I mean, do people, I, I mean, I think sex therapy is great, but to have cu- a couple that's married that, that does it together, I think is not very common or is it? No, not common. I mean, <laughs> we sometimes wonder if our neighbors, there's sometimes, you know, when we move to a new place, if the neighbors are like, who are they? Who are they? <laughs> yeah. What do they do? What's going on over there? I would say we find two, two responses usually whenever we introduce ourselves. Either people are overwhelmed with questions and curiosity and want to know more, or very quickly they switch to a different subject and then avoid us for the rest of a dinner party. Um, it, it's really per, usually split in, in those two directions. And you can feel it. I mean, our kids play soccer and I was chatting with one of the moms on the team while we were waiting for our kids to finish. And we were talking about her job and then she's like, and what do you do? And then she's like, oh, I remember what you do. I've seen your signature. She goes, 
what do you, well, what do you do for fun? You know, <laughs> what are your hobbies? Like she quickly was like, don't even tell me about your job. Like, let's just switch to like, what do you do for fun? Isn't that funny? Uh, so there was some trepidation there, I think. But and what- I think a lot of times you can also, I mean, part of our job is to read the room, feel out somebody's comfort level. And so oftentimes if I can tell that it's going to push somebody's buttons, I will oftentimes just introduce myself as a couples therapist. Yeah, we do that a lot. Actually, because new people. as a licensed marriage and family therapist, that's totally honest and straightforward, mm-hmm. even though we have this, this subset of therapy that we also practice. So, okay, so you guys have a, a dinner party or you're around all your friends. Do you find yourself um, counseling your friends on sex therapy or is it not something they bring up either? I can't imagine. I mean, you know, for example, being in the business that I'm in, I have people all the time that says, hey, you know, I have a friend who has a great voice and do you do coaching and can you help? You know, they want that advice or they want to send somebody over to me or whatever. Do you find that you get a lot of your friends that because they know what you do, they either ask you for help or advice or have somebody that they know that, you know, how does that how do those conversations happen? And what does that sound like? It's an area I think we always tread lightly because it's easy for us to see patterns, see things in a relationship and we're quick to jump in. So I think both of us have a conscious effort to take a step back and let that be led by the friend. But I do have a friend yeah. who says, please don't therapize me right now. Yeah. Just be my friend. Oh my but that aside, I would say the friends then who do talk to us fall into two camps. One camp is the super aware camp and they're like, I don't want to be asking you for advice. This is not a therapy session. And but can I ask you questions? <laughs> and then we're always happy to answer those questions, but at least they're aware that they're sort of treading on that territory. Yeah. And there's other people who are unaware and they just go there and they don't even realize that they're like entering into a pseudo session, like on a dog walk, <laughs> you know? And then, and yeah. Then- and I would say, I, I mean, part of it is that we love what we do and we are excited to talk to people about improving their relationships. And so what we find is that a lot of times our conversations just kind of naturally go there with other couples because couples will bring things up and then they'll catch themselves and say, oh, is that normal? Or, you know, we had this fight and oh yeah, we were talking about this thing. And then oh, do other couples deal with that? There's sort of a moment where they realize they're talking to two couples therapists who specialize in sex. And their perspective shifts to, wait a minute, like, what did I just let out of the bag? <laughs> that- which, which, I mean, usually for us, we're like, this is totally normal. But it's it's always a funny moment for them to be caught off guard. Well, and I would imagine that when you see that maybe there's some red flags, it's not something that you can just go, hey, by the way, I noticed this. And you might want to, you know, you can't offer that information or that suggestion uh, you know, lightly, I get that. Just when when there are red flags, I'll say usually either people will bring it up or and and start asking questions or will veer away from mentioning anything regarding their relationship. That's sort of the two directions it goes. People are also performative and we can yeah. smell that. I think there's some friends and they're not our close friends because we don't we want authenticity, but there are some friends that are not in our close circle that I can feel the performative. Mm, Look how great we are. This is yeah, you know, everything's or they know, fantastic. We're so happy together. Or, gotcha. or, or they want 
they don't want to be analyzed and they're afraid that just us being in the room we will analyze them and we're not trying to analyze them i sometimes have to say i'm not analyzing you i'm not here on therapy you know i'm not, I'm not here for therapy and we can't unsee what we see so there's sort of that inevitable lens that we bring into any situation but i think they perceive or fear judgment of being analyzed yeah yeah interesting now you guys have two children yeah mm-hmm. and these are their headphones <laughs> it's a family affair and how old are they um, this one nine. is six yeah he's six about to be seven and these headphones are the nine-year-old okay so we're going to move on to some more fun questions about you so here's okay. one from linda how do you two rekindle intimacy if you've gone through a dry spell or do you even go through dry spells <laughs> <laughs> we definitely go through dry spells um and I and I share that. I think you probably share that with your clients too, because time. we all go through dry spells. Whether it's like, I mean, definitely both my pregnancies were ten month dry spells each. Um, but even beyond that, I think our connection and our arousal ebbs and flows naturally because of the circumstances in the world and life. And so, very normal for it to ebb and flow. Yes, we have dry spells. Um, I would say for me, and I, I think you might agree with this, we find reconnection first on an emotional level that opens the doorway for a sexual level. And for us, we love the outdoors. We love being in nature. We love moving our bodies bilaterally through walking or hiking. So I find like if we can do a day date, hiking a big mountain and having a long time to just talk and drop in and be in nature. For me, that's like the best, best medicine. And reconnection time i would i I absolutely agree with all that the other piece i would add around it is that i think oftentimes couples assume that sex has to happen in order for connection around sex to be reestablished or maintained and sometimes it's as simple as i'd really love to have sex i'm also exhausted and so i miss you And I really am excited to get to that point where we have enough time and space. But right now, I'm just going to crash. We say that, by the way, probably 80% of the time. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of that. And and I'll say that's really validating because if, you know, again, we have young kids, we have full-time jobs. You know, it's not like we have oodles of time here. And um, it speaks, I think, to the one of the four reasons why humans have sex. And that's for just confirmation and validation of either connection or desirability. And so just even saying that, I'm like, oh, like, we still desire each other. I still find him very handsome and sexy, even if we're not physically acting on it. And so just noting that is really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. And what it also does is it it, it bridges the gap between times when you do have sex, right? Because sometimes you're, you're looking at the calendar going – you know, I'm out this evening, you have an early morning this morning, you know, we have three other things and house guests coming into town. We're like, this is just not going to happen. But it, it also doesn't mean that we just silently suffer and don't get a chance to sync up around the importance of it. We don't let it be a, I think the big lesson is it is not, if, if there is a dry spell, it is not the elephant in the room. It's like, 
there's a dry spell or we haven't had connection and I love you, miss you. We will find each other and we trust that we will. Okay. Well, I'm just going to say from an observant point of view is you guys have it down, but you're also experts at navigating your way through this, right? So as which one of you is the higher desire partner? Definitely me. Okay. (laughs) So is it... It, it, He has more testosterone. That's right. So so when you say, I mean, and it all sounds good, I wish I could hear my husband say what came out of your mouth, Daniel, but you have the knowledge behind it to reinforce her feelings as, as a therapist. But as a man, you have needs that need to be met. So... You know, I mean, my husband is like, I need to have sex. Daniel, I am super grateful, is not one of these men who are super pushy about sex. Um, One thing that I think is wonderful that I feel grateful for is just high level of self-confidence. He doesn't need sex either to feel confident in the world that he is desirable. He just kind of knows it. So sex is not a box that needs to be checked for him for that. And nor is it a box that, um, that needs to be checked to, to confirm that I desire him. So if he lives in the world, which he does fully confident that he's an awesome human in general, and also his wife desires him, the need for sex, you know, may he may enjoy orgasm and ejaculation, which he can do by himself or do with me, but he doesn't need it. To feel okay, and I think that's a really big difference to that's really ask point. yourself as a as any human. I, I think there's a few pieces I would jump in on that as well. Um, so one, I, I would say as a basic principle, I think everybody is responsible for their own sexual needs, regardless of whether you're in a relationship or not. And that can be a conversation, that can be an interaction with your partner, but at the end of the day, it's you and yourself and. that's a really important philosophy from my perspective. Um, I think the other thing is that when you are connected in other ways, sex doesn't become the junk drawer around getting your needs met. So that's a really important piece. And so sex gets to be about the enjoyment of sex itself rather than a space filler for a whole bunch of other things that you don't know how else to address. And then I think the final piece... Can I just give an example of that? So, for instance, we know couples, um, I'll say clinically, but, you know, where their emotional or intellectual connection is really... um, Fraught or limited. Yeah. Or challenged, yeah. And so they use sex as a place to feel connected. And their marriages are long, many years, and, and they keep coming back to sex on a pretty frequent basis and enjoy their sex life. But it's one of the only places they know how to connect. They don't know how to do it emotionally or intellectually. So when he says the junk drawer, that's what he means. It's mm, like sex okay. becomes a junk drawer in terms of this is how we connect because we don't connect in other ways. In other ways. What yeah. we're saying is when you're, con- you know, if you think about intimacy on multiple spheres of intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, aesthetic intimacy, social intimacy, if you think about all the other spheres of how we connect, if we're really well connected in those spheres, it doesn't then burden sex with the only place where we find connection. Gotcha. And then I think the, the final piece is there's a very big difference between persistence and petulance. This is a, a, a framing that we just came up with, but um, being persistent of 
you know, I desire you. I'm really wanting and needing to connect. Let's figure out a time to make that happen is really different than I'm going to pout or there are going to be, there's going to be an argument or I'm going to keep groping at you until sex happens. Mm -hmm. And persistence is from a grounded and confident place. Whereas the petulance has a different edge that frankly is usually a turnoff in relationships. And so then part of what happens is there's a resentment cycle that takes off from that place rather than the persistence, which is much more clear and confident in this is important and we need to figure out how to make this happen because needs do need to be addressed. But also um, I'm aware that that takes two to tango. Yeah. And so one of the things that I really learned and George and I both learned um, from our experience uh, with the podcast in its first season was that a lot of it really isn't about the act of sex for my husband as much as it is his need to feel desired. And, you know, it's and it's definitely you would think that they would just know. Right. But it's definitely something that I have to be mindful at that I have to make sure I treat him in a way that makes him feel desired because I find that his insistence on, you know, having sex because we haven't had sex in a while. And now, you know, our relationship is broken kind of an attitude. It doesn't serve me or him very well at all. So the one thing that we've been doing lately is, and I can't remember, maybe it was something we talked about. I don't even remember where this came from. But every time we kiss, whether I'm going out the door, if it's just a split second kiss or whatever, we hold it for six, seven seconds. And we don't. Yeah, launchings and landing. Yeah. And it really has helped. And I don't feel that pressure of him feeling, you know, like I'm neglecting him in that way. So, yeah, what you're saying, it, it, there's there's a way to what I'm saying is it's it's we all have to be accountable for it. <laughs> you know, both parties. It's a it's a mutual accountability. And I'll I'll stand up a little bit in the defense of men around the the reason why sex becomes so important to them. Um, And I think doing what I do professionally, there's an awareness for me of when that plays out. But one of the things that happens, because I always sort of look at things on a variety of different levels. And if you think of it from an evolutionary perspective, there is a biological imperative for men in relationships to provide and protect which means a level of sacrifice. And I think there is an insecurity around whether that sacrifice is valued enough to be able to procreate because you view me as somebody you want to share genetic material with. And so rejection really pushes on some of those core pieces where men feel they're sacrificing. They are, they're giving up parts of themselves in service to their partner in service to the family unit and and acknowledgement and acceptance of them as genetically important and just in terms of having a role in a place is something that I think is not oftentimes understood by women in relationships because it, it seems obvious to women but for men that's a thing that a lot of men don't know how to give voice to but strikes really core at what is going on under the surface for them. Right. And so validation and appreciation in other areas softens 
sex being the way that that validation plays out. Anything to add to that? That is true if the man comes to the relationship showing up in his role as protector and provider and understands that to be the role versus afraid of that role and maybe defaulting to a people pleaser, more quiet, avoidant role, um, in which case then you have a frustrated woman who's not interested in the reciprocity of sex because there's resentment that he's not pulling his weight either. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that is so true with my husband and I because he's retired, I'm not. And so there's this balancing act that also has to happen. And I think a lot of times, you know, he's making up for, but, you know, for example, there was a question about, you know, I show my love for you by making sure all the laundry's done by doing all of this other stuff. And so there's there's a definite correlation between that feeling and me feeling like I need to reciprocate in a way that he's feeling like his needs are being met. Um, okay, a couple other questions, because I know we're running late, but this was a good one. Um, Michelle asks, what are the real benefits of remaining sexually active and orgasmic in the late stages of life? And what are the deficits of abstaining? Hmm. Great question. That's a good question. I think the benefits are are many um, in staying sensually and sexually connected. And I say sensually because it doesn't have to be penetrative, especially depending on your age, possible chronic illness or cancer status. Erections might be elusive, right? Um, you know, I think the best example I can give is, you know, I, I do have a handful of couples in their eighties and when they come and they're inquiring about how to get to be sexually active again, cause it's been a long time and they've stopped, they usually stop because of some sort of cancer issue and then they don't ever recalibrate and they come to therapy looking to recalibrate, but they don't know what that looks like and they don't know how to get started. And they don't know if they even should get started. Ah, I'm just too old. No, you're never too old. Um, And you still have your body, right? You still have our biggest sex organ is our skin. You know, like there's so much to touch here. There's so much much there even to share. Um, No, we might not have our full sexual functioning online, depending on your age and status, but that's okay. Um, What I asked, you know, this woman was, you know, because she was actually more interested in recalibrating their sex life. And again, they were in their eighties and I helped her say to her husband, I miss you. And I miss you like that. Mm. And I was just, it was, it was beautiful to witness. I mean, it was one of the reasons I do what I do. Like that was like, Oh, you know, and he didn't know she, he, she missed him. Wow. Cause she was the lower desire partner, but doesn't mean she didn't like sex or that she didn't want to have it. She just didn't have as high a drive as him. And anyway, um, she missed him. And so, no, if both parties are not interested in a sensual or sexual relationship, fine, you're on the same page. But I usually find that at least one party is, and if you dig deep, both parties are. You just have to redefine what sex means to you. Again, no one size fits all. It's your own unique narrative that you get to write around what is your connection around sensuality, what is your activity level, right? Right. Lots of those couples are non-penetrative. Okay, that's fine. 
they still have a great time. Yeah. And I would, I would absolutely agree with all that. I think sex doesn't have an expiration date is a phrase I use all the time because one of the things that happens is we work with people who maybe haven't had sex for five years or sex has been a really challenging subject in their relationship and they're in their thirties or their forties and they're going, gosh, like we are signed up for a lifetime of this or I've missed out on so many years of my good years, right? My, my prime sexual years. And I go, hold on a minute. Why? Sex doesn't have an expiration date. And I'll say, if you have, you know, if they're in their thirties and they have another half a century of a great sex life, that's more than they've been alive. And it's such a different perspective for them. And suddenly they start going, Oh, it, it, it's, it's a thing that I think we don't talk about as a subject um, very often in our culture, but sex doesn't disappear. I have clients in their late 80s who are dating and wow. <laughs> fi- fi- figuring out what they want sexually and what they want in a partner and revisiting old past partners and do they want to get back together with them. And that, I mean, 89 is, is my current oldest client. And it's that's great. It's it's such a great conversation and interaction. And and, in many ways, I could be talking to somebody who is, you know, half their age and it's it's pretty much the same conversation. And so I think there's this idea. And and I'll say just as a a side note, um, if you look at STI rates in nursing homes, they match um, (laughs) uh, unmarried, uh, you know, Rates as well. Really? Oftentimes higher. Yeah. Nursing homes are hot to drive. (laughs) And it's and it's but it's a thing that people don't talk about. Definitely gonna go to one if I'm left over here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that that was great. That was great. Okay, and I know we need to wrap up, but there's there's one more. Actually, it's a two-parter. So do you take your own advice and what's easier taking your own advice or giving advice i think giving advice is a way easier yeah <laughs> i have a different way of answering that which is most of our our ideas most of our concepts are tried and tested in our relationship so and we've gone through the the tsunami of it first, I would say. If it doesn't work in our relationship, why am I suggesting it for anybody else? That's true. Oh, and, that's interesting. And, and so you know, and and so you know, sort of don't don't trust a skinny chef. Uh, it, it's that same concept, right? <laughs> yeah, if, that's true. If if a if a couple who is guiding couples around how to have a better relationship can't talk through examples of their struggle and how they navigated it and where they dealt with something that was hard and the things that they learned and both had to look at, then I I think that that's a really difficult place to be able to tell other people what to do when you haven't done it yourself. That doesn't mean if you're a listener and your therapist is single and you're trying to get relationship advice, you've got to leave. I just think that every person has Um, both expert and personal things to offer. And what we have the privilege of is really combining those forces in a really intentional way. And, and practicing what we preach. Yeah. 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 
Okay, and the second part to this is because you have that knowledge and that experience with other couples and success, I'm absolutely sure of. What is sex? Do you guys have that mind blowing sex? I mean, and how often does that happen? I mean, are you, are, are you, I guess the question was, does this mean you have the best sex ever? <laughs> I love our sex life and I, I think it's fun. And I think what I would say I love most about it is that I really appreciate a balance of fun and novel experiences and connecting sort of um, checking a box sex as well. Um, I, I think the ability to, to have both of those is really important because if you're expecting every experience to be mind blowing, you know, toe curling, blows your socks off, you're going to be disappointed. And if you keep going to lowest common denominator sex, you're going to get bored. I think no, I don't I don't, I don't know anyone that has mind blowing sex every single time. And if they do, I think they're lying. Um, there is definitely a function and a need for maintenance sex. Well, we all know that you are the queen of lazy sex. We've discovered that. Lazy, yes, I am the queen of lazy sex. I am a busy woman. So, lazy, but lazy sex can just because I'm lazy sometimes doesn't mean it isn't fun or reconnecting. But we definitely will say like being lazy can be very indulgent. Yeah, and we'll no, say to each other, is today like lazy? Is it maintenance? Do we have more time to like luxuriate? We kind of know what kind of sex we'll have based on how much time we have. Absolutely. So if it's like we have these thirty minutes, we're like, all right, this is going to be a maintenance sex, but like it'll still be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, there were a couple more questions, but I think we've run the gamut, and this was such a fun conversation. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, you know letting us kind of dig in a little deeper to your relationship. And um, I could go on and on and on um, because I've I've still got some questions, but um, maybe we can have you back again, and we can uh, dig in a little deeper to some other stuff for sure she knows where to find me i'm i'm around all the time is there is there a private person so this is a compliment no i'm I'm the younger son i'm the messy one younger son like free for all (laughs) you know wild wild stallion and he's the older like the older child you know private and guarded a little bit (laughs) is there anything that we might have left out is there any other you know questions that you that you guys get a lot that that as a couple um, that work in the same profession um, that you want to uh, explore? Hmm. Mm, I would say I, th- I, I don't know what other people assume about us, um, but I think there's a lot of assumptions about what our relationship looks like or what our, our sex life looks like. And uh, there's a whole um, wide world of normal Right. I don't want to say we're normal because everyone falls into that category as well. Like, you know, it's no measure of health to be well adjusted to a profoundly sick society kind of thing. Um, but we're normal. I don't know. That's sort of the short of it. We're, we're not. I don't know. The, we don't. I, I think I think there is a Hollywood expectation that 
if you aren't having a particular type of sex, you're missing out on something. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess maybe the final note in a way of wrapping that up is enjoy the sex you're having. And if there's a way you want to enjoy it more, figure out how to have that conversation to enjoy it more. But I think the idea that there's some magical, mystical thing right around the corner that you're that you aren't privy to, but everybody else is, is a lot of FOMO in our society today. And maybe the sex you're having is better than the person telling you that there's a technique right around the corner. And so I guess all that's to say, I think, enjoy the sex you're having. That's a good and have a conversation about how to enjoy it more if there are things you want to enjoy more. Wow. That's those are great last words. But Jenny, you have something else. It looks sounds like you have something else you want to add. No, just edit out my answer. His is way better. <laughs> <laughs> I thought they were both great. Well, thank you both again, and uh, thank you for tuning in and listening uh, to this episode, and we will catch you next time on the Modern Pleasure Podcast.